Hello, listener. Before we get started, just to let you know that today's show was recorded Thursday morning before news broke that cast strong doubt about Watford's fixture with Leicester this weekend and indeed, by extension, all the rest of the Premier League games. Still, we hope you enjoy this podcast anyway. It's a little timeless reminder, a window, if you will, back into a simpler time when we were still expecting fixtures to be fulfilled and looking forward to all the fun they're in. Muddy News Media. Totally football show in suspense over games being suspended. Meanwhile, we'll be talking about Champions League. Lorenti leaves Anfield Florendo. It's rocky for Adrian as the champs get KO'd. Meanwhile, can anyone make Spurs' season worse? Red Bull can with Sabitzer, who's Savit special. We round it all up and the weekend action that's probably coming up, but with players testing positive leagues and a first Premier League game postponed already, is everything now just a friendly? That and more in this Totally Football show in association with Paddy Power. Wow, listener, you're hanging in there and you're hanging in there with a brand new Totally Football show. Coming to you in the company of Duncan Alexander. Hi, James. Julien Laurent. Bonjour. Bonjour to you, Julien. Young Sports Journalist of the Year, Emma Saunders. Good morning, James. Good, good morning, Emma. <laughs> Congratulations on your gong. Thank you. All right. And Dr. Tom Markham's with us. Dear on Margin. I'm sorry? That's good morning in Irish. Ah, right, okay. And to you too. Not that kind of doctor, can I just stress. <laughs> you know. Definitely not. No, okay, right. Uh, interesting times, uh, though, eh, Dr. Tom? You recently completed a two-week self-isolation program after a return from the Far East. I did. Yeah. Jules, you possibly should be doing the same thing after... Yeah, you, you seem to think that I have got the virus. I don't know if you've got the virus. I don't, I don't. I don't, but I've shaken a lot of hands since well, the whole well, thing yeah, that's, started. That's the problem. Yeah. You keep saying that. I'm very lackadaisical. In Paris, you know, it seems, <laughs> seems to be the, the antidote. The thing is, not shaking hands doesn't seem to have fixed it. That's what the Premier League tried last weekend. Problems still persist. Thursday morning, as we record this, but things are moving rapidly around the world. City has now been completely suspended. The NBA in the States suspended. Others surely are going to follow. Uh, possibly there's going to be an announcement from the Premier League, I would think, in the next day or so. Uh, already you've had one Premier League game suspended midweeks, Man City-Arsenal, at Arsenal's request after some of their players came into contact with Nottingham Forest and Olympiacos owner Evangelos uh, Marinakis, who has tested positive for coronavirus. Uh, interestingly, Olympiacos' game with Wolves is still going ahead as we record this on Thursday morning, but various other uh, Europa League games have been cancelled and uh, Juve and Inter are both now in quarantine after Juventus player Daniele Rugani tested positive. Uh, those two teams played each other last Sunday. Strange times to be talking about football. Well, it's every game seems to have that vibe that you used to get at the start of an episode of Casualty, you know, where someone's innocently going to the shop to buy some beans or something. You're like, well, hang on, something bad's going to happen. It's like, you want to enjoy the game, but yeah. you're like, well, is this going to count? It's all a bit creepy. Mm. I think as well, for the last few days, certainly, a lot of the focus has been on the fans and the broadcasters and what's going to happen. But I actually don't think we're thinking enough about the players themselves. There's an interview that John Bennett from the BBC has done with a Udinese player. And uh, apparently they tried to train effectively in this quarantine and the players were told to be a metre away from each other. Now, of course, that didn't really work. Um, so then apparently they tried to do gym exercises and the whole thing just broke down. Right. And now they're completely off training altogether. Yeah. So you have to consider that as well, that the players won't be up to scratch right. eventually when they do get back to practice. And then, I mean, you've got the examples of people like Juventus and, and Inter who they've had a player tested positive. The entire team then has to go yeah. into self-isolation. And then what happens to the fixtures? I personally don't see how... I mean, given that it's already beginning to happen in this country as well. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, it's got echoes of the uh, 1939-40 season, which was obviously paused after three games because of the outbreak of the Second World War. And um, Blackpool had started that season with three wins out of three. Sheffield United having a rare good season in second place. The sort of, you know, echoes of now. (laughs) Um, And you do wonder whether this season will, you know, just get written off. All right, well, we'll talk more about all that later on. You never know, there might be some news in the next hour or so. Uh, But while we yet may, let's just feast for now on the midweek riches in the Champions League. 
You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Well, if it was the last round for a while, boy, did it sign off in dramatic fashion at Anfield on Wednesday night. The first time in Champions League history that four goals have been scored in the same extra time. Jules, you were there. I was indeed, yeah. Wow. I, had, uh, I have to confess, I had the PSG game on my iPad. Yep. And when Neymar scored, I was in the press box with all the other journalists. And when Neymar scored, I obviously jumped off my seats, starting celebrating like a madhead. Everybody laughed in the press box, but a few Liverpool fans would turn around. So like something wrong about this guy well, yeah, I, I could not hold it that's the thing they were in a state of extreme tension at this point trying to turn around that 1-0 deficit from the first leg it looked like they'd done it uh, Gini Wijnaldum uh, scoring to take it to extra time and then when Firmino scored right at the start of the uh, time added on what was the reaction? The atmosphere was fantastic I have to say it was incredible before the game as well the, at the start of the game even at nil-nil you never felt any tension it, it felt like the whole stadium knew that at some point they would get one goal and then a second and that it would be over and they had so many chances so many crosses I think there's like 60 crosses or something like 62. that 62 the most they've crosses. had in a game since 2008 Yeah and to be fair Atleti defended really well all those crosses I mean Felipe and Savic were, were fantastic but the, the two ones that they didn't deal well with is the two goals but there was there was yeah there was there was a really sense of confidence in there and when Firmino scored the whole place exploded it was fantastic and right. then after that Adrian just just thought it would make it a bit more interesting because then Adrian <laughs> right uh, three minutes after Firmino's goal that curious moment when he basically passes the ball out to an oncoming Atletico player Marcos Lorente uh, puts it away. Uh, not a player who's been doing much goal scoring of late. Only three senior goals in his entire club career previous to this game. Over 6,000 minutes of football. But here... Yeah, I mean, the thing with Adrian is I don't think his goalkeeping is that bad. He's he's made a few good saves this season, but his big issue is that he has to try and play like Alisson with the ball at his feet. And that first Atletico goal came from him doing a terrible pass out. And if you actually look historically... Um, in the Premier League, his pass completion rate by season is 48%, 46%, 50%, 50%, 43%. That's his West Ham time. And it jumps to 72% at Liverpool because he's having to play in this different way. But I don't think he can. It's a bit like when Pep took over at City and he said Joe Hart can't pass the ball. Right. It's very hard to get Adrian to fit into that role. And it, this was always going to happen. But the difference is on this one, he just has to kick the ball. He doesn't yeah. need to pass it to anyone. No. The only thing he has to do is kick it as far as he can. Like all of us here would would have done but better than that. I think he wanted to do that, but in the back of his head, he's know, like, oh no, I'm, I have to play even... this out. I know, but like, that was crazy. And that was only part of the problem, surely, because uh, he then fell over as he attempted to stop the less than irresistible shot from Lorente. It's not a bad shot. It's not, the two goals are not bad. The, the two Lorente goals are not, the not bad really shots. really impressive. But, but even the first, the first one, one, the issue I've got more with the two goals is that the first one, Trent Alexander-Arnold doesn't at any point put pressure on Llorente. He's like two metres away from him. There's no pressure. He doesn't close him down at all. And on the second goal, it's even worse because it's Joe Gomez and Henderson, the two of them, who let him go back on his right foot when he's on his left. And they can easily show him the left side of him. And they're, they're just they're standing there. They're not doing anything. And then the third goal is a bit different. But So maybe Adrian could have done better on the first one. But certainly Trent and Henderson and Gomez should have done much better defensively on the two shots. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that, that, you know, it's easy to pin it all on the goalkeeper, but ultimately they had enough chances to put this game away. Right, They've, yeah. You know, Atletico are renowned for shutting up shop and, and not necessarily scoring a lot of goals. So to do what they did under the circumstances was, was pretty incredible. Also, what they did once they had let in the two goals in the first half of extra time was then stick everyone up front, which never works. You know, Van Dijk up there, and, they, and they'd played so well up to that point. The, the 90 minutes was an exceptional performance. Mm-hmm. Oxlade-Chamberlain had probably his best performance yeah, for Liverpool. Um, you know, they had 3.5 xG versus just over one for Atletico in the game. So, you know, in a normal, normal inverted commas match, they could have won that 4-0, 4-1. Um, it's not a bad performance, it's just they they got extra time very wrong. What about Simeone and his Atletico uh, Madrid? Michael Owen tweeting, please spare me all this inevitable Simeone masterclass nonsense. There's nothing genius about putting 11 top-class footballers behind the ball. Liverpool absolutely pumped them. That's not true, right? Former Stoke City man, Michael Owen. But, um, <laughs> yeah. This is not true, but it's true, it's not true. There's an art in defending. 
And I watched him. He was a spectacle by himself. I mean, there was an area for the coaches, you know, in front of the bench. I mean, I don't know why they put one for him because he was never in the area. He was always almost on the pitch, shouting. And even when they were 3-2 up, even when they were 2-2. And I just think it takes a lot of hard work to be able to defend so well. I know I know they were all behind the ball and I know they, they headed the ball a lot and they cleared it a lot and etc, etc. But I just don't think that it's that easy to do. Yeah, and Klopp um, was a little bit reminiscent of Michael Owen as well after the game, saying, you know, with the players they've got, they shouldn't be playing football like that. But it was effective. Look who's out of the Champions League and who's progressing to the next round. You can't argue with that. But, but exactly, does that mean Liverpool aren't going to count their 2005 Champions League win? Because that was a particularly defensive team under Benitez. Exactly. You know? and, and it wasn't a surprise. I, I think we all knew that's how they were going to go and set up. So to come out with these disparaging comments, and particularly Owen said something else about that's the best team that Atletico Madrid have ever faced. And you sort of look, you know, what does that say about the... Real Madrid and Barcelona teams over the years that, that they've played against that are some of the best that we've ever seen. Uh, Atletico Madrid have only ever been knocked out of the knockout stages of the Champions League by a team featuring Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, mm. funnily enough. Uh, how about Jan Oblak, meantime? Very good. Like an elongated Lionel Messi, I think he looks like. But um, he had a tremendous what performance. Does? He does. Look at his face. <laughs> it's like a kind of stretched Messi. Um, but Messi's w- already stretched anyway, but even more yeah, so. Yeah. But he was brilliant. I mean, everyone knows he's, you know, pound for pound the best goalkeeper in terms of shot stopping in the world. And he just showed that again. I mean, if you swap the keepers round, even if, you know, to be honest, even if Liverpool had Mignolet in goal last night, I think they'd have probably got through. There is a question. Somebody was asking this on Twitter: Why teams will assemble vast quantities of, of top-class forwards in case one of them gets injured, but will make do with one decent keeper and somebody else who can stand in? Why is that? Is it because they can't attract people to be backups, or, or, or yeah, what? Yeah, because most second-choice goalkeepers don't Wait, get much play. Yeah, yeah. would yeah. never play. I mean, probably Sergio Romero is the best backup keeper, definitely in the Premier League. Some of the older, more experienced keepers, you look at Willy Caballero and these sort of people that slot in, that are prepared to do it and maybe mm. play in the cup. But if, you, if you're an ambitious footballer, why would you want to be sitting on the but bench? But if you're an ambitious football club like Liverpool, who've been caught out twice in this fashion in Europe, with Carius and, and now with uh, Adrian, or, for example, Man City equally have this incredibly kind of professional... Uh, organico as they, they they say on the continent but have um, but have the same problems with their reserve keeper yeah i mean bravo yeah it's a, it's, a, it's an interesting one i think um i think there's also the psychology between keepers are so different and i mm. think if you put two very strong number ones i think that could be to the detriment of your team and we saw that at psg when buffon arrived and Ariola, who was not very good but he was still the number one and then that messed it all up and i think even when bravo and testegen were together at barcelona and one was only playing in europe the other one was only playing in the league that was not very healthy either and i think the hierarchy is always better for goalkeepers you've got a number one you've got a number two and often that number two is is not as good as the number one maybe for that reason yeah I mean even Liverpool you look back when they had Grobelar and David James when they signed David James that was a bit of a clash because both wanted to be the number one you, you kind of do have to have a, a sort of semi-submissive number two alright well one other point then about this unless people want to throw other uh, angles in on this uh, result Diego Simeone uh, quite magnanimously saying afterwards that uh, the result was unjust because Atletico had 30 minutes of extra time with away goals counting double. Uh, Liverpool didn't have that. That's not fair. Should the away goal rule not apply in extra time? Yes. Only in extra time, though. I would keep it for for the, the, the 90 minutes of the two legs, but not in extra time I would scrap it, yeah. Right. Is there a competition that actually has that rule at the moment? In the League Cup, no? I think the League Cup's the reverse, isn't it? Where away goals don't count until the end of extra time. So if you've lost on away goals at 90 minutes, it will yeah, still go right. to extra that's time. Right. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I agree. Harry saint man make it to the quarterfinals for the first time in four years. A little round of applause, Ray. <laughs> Also, mocking a teenager. Right. Uh, he mocked first, right? Oh, yeah. He mocked first. He took to his Snapchat beforehand and said, this is my city, yeah. not yours. About Paris. So, And he yeah. wrote Paris on his jumper. Right. So he but, started but it. The greatest it all. It's, it's, it's their responsibility not it. to take the bait. Yeah, and come on, did. an entire... <laughs> so Neymar sweet. scores his goal, this vital goal that meant so much to you. And what does he do? He thinks, I'm going to have a go at a teenager, a 19-year-old. It's very because he was provoked. Yeah, it's very kind of bigger than that. And then the whole team at the end doing it, and then doing it again in the dressing room. 
Come on, you got to feel that was a bit much. I don't care right now, I have to say. The vibe was very much kind of middle-aged man on social media having to get Greta Thunberg, wasn't it, I think? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you think maybe it's because it was behind closed doors, they have, they felt this like extra onus to really let this one play out in front of the cameras across social media? Mm. I just don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Certainly there was a lot of tension, wasn't there? You were 2-1 down from the first leg. No fans to roar you on at the Parc yep. des Princes. Mbappe was ill, and add that to... Not ill like that, but ill. Yeah. Uh, to add to that, uh, suspensions for Verratti and, and Meunier. Uh, but as it turned out, it was pretty straightforward. Yeah, I just didn't think they had that kind of performance in them where they actually played as a team. It had been one of the criticisms, not just this season, but also last season, of of being that uh, the, this addition of great individuals, but hardly playing together. And I think they defended really well. They pressed really well, especially in the first 45 minutes. They were well organised and well drilled and they played a bit deeper in the second half, but it was always under control. I think Navas had, the, there's one Jadon Sancho shot and maybe one long-range one and that's it. They never really had any chances. Right. Uh, why, why were Dortmund so anemic? I, I think it's a, it's a very difficult lead to, to protect first. I think you're really caught in between do we attack or do we defend the lead. I think the 2-1 uh, home home result is always tricky when you go away on the second leg. But once uh, they went a goal behind, they did look a little bit yeah, more involved in the game. More, but, but there was no cutting it. I mean, I was disappointed with Haaland, I have to mm-hmm. say, apart from the the whole um, taking the mic out of, of him. But yeah, I, it was, I, I was a bit disappointed in him. And Sancho, I thought Kerrer defended really well on him. Bernat on, on Torgan Hazard. I think the PSG players wanted to prove a point of like, okay, we can surprise a lot of people. I don't think there was many people believing it. So there's this French radio in France. They they would have added an extra hour on their show had PSG been knocked out. But had they qualified, it would have been the same length of the show, three hours like they do every evening. So to show you that there's always a bit of negativity around it because they've done it so many times bottling it that once again we thought they're not going to do it so let, let's let's wait for them to crash out and then we can batter them like we always do so they, yeah on that it was positive and then I think the at the end the relationship between the ultras and the fans who were outside the Paris de France and the players who then went out to celebrate with them from the balcony of the stadium was pretty special and this incredible photo of Angel Di Maria without his shirt bare chest <laughs> with all the flares Coming, right. coming up. So from, they're on the back, but then Kurzawa goes down amongst them. Yeah, Kurzawa right. goes down, and a few more went down as well. It was right. so you can't in France right now. You you can't have a manifestation, whatever it is, of more than a thousand people. Right. So they said the game is behind closed door, and then you've got four thousand fans who come outside. So basically, the whole idea of let's not have more than a thousand people together mm. was completely crushed out by the ultras getting together. Yeah, but at least the players great. played it down and didn't encourage it. So. <laughs> Tim Maria, who's uh, going to be suspended for the first leg of the quarterfinals after that melee at the, uh, t- towards the end of the game with Emery Chan. Stupid yellow card to take there, this one. The fact that Dortmund didn't register a shot on target in right. the second half uh, when you need a goal is, is pretty embarrassing for an attacking team and a fantastic football club but they don't seem to really have that metal when it comes down to the to the big games well they haven't in recent seasons yeah fair point Dr Tom well PSG goes through to the draw if there is one uh, breaking news on that front I mean the draw is not until March the 20th we've got another set of fixtures coming up next midweek or, or do we because Juve already in quarantine and now we're hearing that Real Madrid are in quarantine as well after one of their basketball players Real Madrid's I've just seen players. breaking now Ooh. La Liga is officially suspended Right. First and second divisions. So, so right. Does <laughs> Let's feel that do some uh, previews quick. Yep. Good idea, Duncan. Right. Well, we'll talk about Tuesday's action for what it's worth after this. Player returns department. Oh, hello. Yeah, I'm trying to return a striker, please, a Brazilian. Uh, I want my money back, basically. Oh, what seems to be the problem with him? The problem. He's £40 million worth of rubbish. That's the problem. He was supposed to help us achieve our goals, but, uh, well, I don't think he knows what a goal is, to be fair. This fellow's had more haircuts than goals. Uh, sorry. Says here you've committed to a a five-and-a-half-year deal. This Geordie manager can't get his money back, but you can with Paddy Power's money-back specials. Paddy Power. T's and C's apply. 18plusbgambleaware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Tuesday, Champions League debutants Atalanta booked their place in the quarterfinals. A 4-3 win at the Mestalla. 8-4 on aggregate over Valencia. Quick reminder, Valencia had topped Chelsea and Ajax's group, while Atalanta had nil point halfway through their 
group stage. Remarkable game. It, did anybody watch this? Yeah, I watched it, James. I'm a massive Atalanta fan, I have to say. They're, they're, they're fantastic to watch, and it's no surprise that you've got that scoreline over two legs because that that's what you get. And uh, I think it was pretty irresponsible, actually. I don't know whether you saw the uh, Agnelli comments uh, during the week, but he, he said that teams like Atalanta shouldn't feature in, in the likes of the Champions League after one good season, right. yet they're heading for Champions League qualification again. So I think football needs clubs like that. Uh, Illich, amazing performance, four goals away, and yeah, really, really impressive. Right. No player had ever scored four goals in a single Champions League game away from home. Only two other players had ever got five goals or more in the course of a two-legged Champions League knockout tie, and they are Messi and Ronaldo. So this is pretty incredible company for a, a player who, until the last few seasons, had been regarded as just one of the most frustrating players in football. <laughs> I think it was the, the oldest hat-trick as well in, yeah, in the was. Champions League. Away. Yeah. Taking that from yeah. Ibrahimovic. Mm. He's 32. He's known as uh, Granny around Atalanta's <laughs> training camp because he's always glum and complaining. And he, he basically has that even while scoring four goals, he had the face of a man doing shift work yeah. or something. And he's lazy. I mean, Gasparini has said many times yeah. that he's lazy and he never wants to train. And and you could see the you could see the body language as well. But that left foot is just just incredible. Mm. Just to follow up what Tom was saying about you know the uh, the comments from uh, Agnelli, the Atalanta fans donated fifty thousand mm. euros that they would have spent travelling to uh, to Valencia to hospitals fighting the coronavirus. So that's a lovely touch. Certainly is. Great stat here, tweeted by Richard Jolly. Atalanta have faced seven goalkeepers in this season's Champions League. They've scored goals against six. The exception, Emma? No, I mean, we're talking about potentials for second-choice goalkeepers at these big clubs. <laughs> Carl Walker. I mean, it's a prime <laughs> example there of maybe another direction these clubs should be taking. Yeah, absolutely. The All right. Niall Quinn factor there, saving <laughs> penalties, yeah. Magnificent stuff. Uh, also on Tuesday, over in Germany, last year's other finalists also went out with a whimper in Leipzig, losing 3-0 on the night, Spurs 4-0 on aggregate. Uh, Julian Nagelsmann, 32 years of age, the youngest manager ever to win a Champions League knockout tie. And this was pretty straightforward for a, an RBE Leipzig side, already 1-0 up from the first leg. Spurs didn't help themselves, though, did they? Lloris and Aurier on the uh, the, first, the two first goals. Mm. I mean, there was one team with a lot of ideas and a lot of structure using the width of the pitch, using triangles and movement and everything. And there was another team that had nothing. Like right. literally Spurs had, it was a game where they had nothing at all. And the biggest RB threat was once again Serge Aurier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, what did you make of Hugo Lloris' performance? Um, so I don't think he's 100%. I think he, uh, he had that pain, uh, that groin injury that kept him out of the Norwich game in the FA Cup. Uh, and then they wanted, and he wanted to come back at Burnley. And he felt certainly that he could play that game at Burnley. He made a mistake in that game that cost a goal. Uh, and then his right-hand side has always been his weaker side. That's the, 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 the side he considered the goal in the Euro 2016 final, for example, against Portugal. The first goal, the, Sabitza, the first Sabitzer goal comes that side where he's very slow to react. Uh, I don't know, it's because as well, because he's not fully fit, maybe he could not do more. The second goal comes also on his right-hand side. So, I don't know, he's 34, it's a bit of a worry, I think, mm. because he came back from a long injury, that elbow injury, the surgery. I think he played a lot then between the end of January and, and that Norwich game, maybe too much. And and maybe now he's, he's struggling a bit, but it's just not the, that goal. You can't concede that goal so early in a game like this after losing the first leg. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mourinho's now gone six games out of win, which right. is his longest ever winless run as a manager. Also in uh, the Champions League, uh, Nagelsmann was 26 years of age and RB Leipzig were in the third division the last time he won a Champions League knockout game. Duncan, you were tweeting a lot of opprobrium for Mourinho after this. But you were tweeting uh, during the game, in many ways, Leipzig's second goal hasn't changed Tottenham's task. They still need to rebuild their entire defence and midfield. <laughs> so not entirely moveful, or do you think... Well, I think everyone would accept that Tottenham are in a very tricky position because they went that two or three transfer windows bringing no one in. Mm. Um, that's not Mourinho's fault, but 
is he the man to fix it? It's a bit like the we were talking earlier in the season about Solskjaer. You, you know, there might be an issue with recruitment at Manchester United, but it doesn't mean the manager is necessarily perfect. And mm. it's the same at Tottenham. Mourinho has got a difficult task, but is he up to doing it? I'm not convinced. I, I just think there's too much of a rebuild now required at Spurs. And Jose Mourinho isn't the kind of manager that you bring in for an experience like that, whereas Ole Gunnar Solskjaer... He's also developing himself, which you can see why it's taking time, but things are finally falling in place there. Jose Mourinho is a serial winner. Mm. And I think for them, for them to, <laughs> well, to return to that kind of status, Levy's gonna have, he's going to be looking at £150 million in the summer. Right. There's no way that club is spending that kind of money. Well, also, in the meantime, you've got a team that's presumably with morale severely yeah. uh, hurt by a recent events, countless injuries, Bergwijn, the latest to go out for the season. You encountered him recently, oh, Emma, yeah. for a memorable exchange in which he was... Ex- I think that was the one where he said, I can't do both, win in the Premier League and in the Champions League as well. Yeah. I, it, do you know what? It was one of those post-match interviews where usually with a manager like Jose, you really have to put a lot of thought into your questions. But it was mm. quite reminiscent of like an Ian Holloway towards the end of his QPR tenure where you throw him a really generic question and he'd give you an eight-minute answer the right. kind of rambles and right at the very end of it he said look I need to go to the club because there's just no way these players can compete against Burnley on Saturday and against Leipzig in the Champions League well I'm not really sure what the strategy was because obviously they crashed out of, of well both both results just weren't sufficient right. Um, but yeah, it, it does seem as though we are. It feels like, as a journalist, you're already at, you're at the end of his tenure. You're at this awkward moment where it's just really uncomfortable for everyone involved, the players, him, right. the staff. As a journalist, it's. I, I agree with Emma there, and I think that um, it was a panic appointment by Daniel Levy, who is usually brilliant in this area. But it was almost as if he wanted to consolidate the club's position as a Champions League club, and he felt that. Mourinho was best placed to do that and that's backfired massively yeah. and we're looking at a situation we're talking about not being able to replenish and bring in players but you've got a situation now where they've got almost 60 million in interest payments for this new stadium it could cost 20 million uh, probably cost 50 million all in to get rid of Mourinho now so mm. where does that leave Spurs yeah. and the other thing is the difference between him and Solskjaer is sorry could, can I just why would it cost that much just for paying off the rest of his contract yeah, yeah. he's on 15 million a season I'm wow. probably 20 with with the back room and everyone yeah. else that's there and it, it's it's another two and a bit seasons to, to go so you've got that that's a lot of points of Beavertown isn't it? absolutely but the other thing is he isn't Solskjaer is giving younger players a chance at Man United he has actively talked down their best prospects when they've got no striker and you look at the Troy Parrott situation his background isn't perfect but he needed to be given a chance yeah. uh, at that time and talked up. And if it didn't work, it didn't work. But putting in Deli Ali as a false nine is absolutely ridiculous. One other thing to add with that Troy Parrott situation, which, which was never really flagged after that Norwich FA Cup evening, was when he went up to the side of the pitch to go on as a substitute, it was one of Jose's assistant coaches that walked him up and gave him that final pat on the back and a talk in his ear. And you just think, as a manager, that is your opportunity there, regardless mm. of what you think of this player. And then you see the way it unfolded. There's no surprises there. I just think and he what, went in on it in yeah. at the end of the game and then afterwards he's yeah, gone yeah. in on him I just think it's such a shame because this time last year as a neutral Spurs were really good fun to watch and they had similar issues with injuries and but it's, it's painful I was like I said I was there that Wednesday night for the Norwich game and it's like watching a car crash in slow motion at the moment mm. And he's managed to do what he usually does in, in three years and six months Yeah, uh, well, He's still doing course. three seasons but they're autumn, winter and spring yeah, all in one. <laughs> But he was smiling after the game so you know, that B, I thought that BT interview yeah, after the game was surreal, really mm. surreal. When you've just been humiliated in the way that he had and his team had, for him to be smiling and saying, well, they're very good at the back or they're very good in midfield. Mm. They're very good going forward. And my players, well, they've got potential, but they don't express their potential. Yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> it was ridiculous. Just talk, talking about the old guard and the new guard, where do we think that Nagelsmann is going to go and what, what is his future going to look like? I think he's got the ego to go anywhere he wants and, and be convinced that he will succeed. That's the first thing. Um, I give him maybe another year at Leipzig and then Bayern Munich surely will come knocking. I think Flick will have another season and then probably he will, he will, he will go there. And then, I don't know, he's so young that what he's done with that team... That was a good team last season, but to take it to that level this season, and if you watch them at Wolfsburg last weekend, for example, the Junior, they were not very good, but Timo Werner was on the bench, Danny Olmo was on the bench. They, they clearly had their mind already on, on Spurs, and Spurs, like, like we said earlier, 
it was it was too easy for them but still the structure the way they they go through the middle to find all that space on either side and they would switch the play and everything is just quite impressive to one watch one team was having fun on Tuesday and the other one certainly wasn't well next up for Spurs is due to be Man United as the Premier League gets back into action probably this weekend we'll be talking about that game and much much more after this Listeners, as you well know, this is the part of the show when you'd usually hear an advert for something like razors, beer, mattresses, little blue pills, or quite possibly even something to do with gambling. Now, these adverts mean, of course, that we can keep giving you this show for free. So what would be really helpful for us is if you can please head on over to thetotallyfootballshow.com slash win slash survey. There you will indeed find a survey that we've put together with our friends at Audioboom, and it's all about the sort of things you like so that we can get the right companies advertising to you. It'll take five minutes and we won't share your data with anyone. We just need an email address to let you know if you're one of the lucky winners of a £50 Amazon voucher. So help us to help you over at thetotallyfootballshow.com slash win slash survey. You could even do it while you listen to this next bit. Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere. This is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Listener, the relegation battle in the Premier League gets back underway on Saturday with Watford against Leicester. That's right, a rematch of one of the most remarkable bits of action in English football in years. It's 2013. Watford are playing Leicester in the Championship. Playoffs on the line is a place in the playoff final at Wembley and just maybe promotion to the Premier League. Nigel Pearson was managing the Foxes. Watford, managed by Gianfranco Zola, have a 2-1 lead. It's the 95th minute and we are heading to extra time. But oh my word, Leicester, who'd only scraped into the playoffs with a 90th minute goal at Forest, get the penalty, which could change everything. Anthony Knockout goes down and then steps up to take the spot kick and seal their place at Wembley. What happens next? Over to Johnny Phillips on Sky Soccer Saturday. Here we go. It's a fantastic save. Oh, it's a brilliant save from Almunia. A double save. The initial penalty from Knockout was saved. He got the rebound and it looked as if the rebound had gone in, but he saved that as well. And now Watford are on the counter-attack. They're bursting forward. They've got a chance. They've crossed it into the box. Oh, I don't believe this. There's a chance for a Watford. Oh, they've scored. I do not believe what I've just seen. Jordini has scored a penalty. He's scored. Unbelievable. Oh, Jeff, Emma. That was the day. Where were you? Well, this is going to show my age. I was actually at university revising for some exams oh right so i wasn't at vicarage road no way. and the exam i was taking basically i was in an empty house none of my housemates were there so i sat there streaming it illegally on a crappy website and uh the euphoria i experienced entirely on my own tried to make a few phone calls couldn't get through to anyone and then quite bizarrely actually i remember this i walked up the road to one of the pubs on the high street in southampton and I've never done this in my life, and I'll probably never do it again. It's really creepy to admit it's that loud. I just went for a drink on my own with a barman who'd been showing it on Sky Sports in their pub. and just. Well, you kind of expected some Watford there. fans being yeah, there, there randomly. There were, no, there were none or? there, actually, weirdly right. enough. What were you studying, Emma? Uh, geography. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but you've seen, presumably you've, you've relived the action countless oh, yeah. times. So yeah, I've watched it back a number of times. Do you know what, actually? I know that the um, government advice is sing Happy Birthday or the National Anthem. But oh, yeah. If you recount that sequence of events whilst washing your hands, I think from the Almunia save So Almunia double saves... Right. That's sufficient amount of time. Now to, between the fingers, yeah. pumps it up. Yeah. Then Anya brings the ball down with a really sweet touch. Forestieri. Right. And then. Who and then, chips it over to Hogg, who nods it down to Dini. Right. Oh my God. And, and Dini's finish. It is. Lovely. It's quite the finish, finish, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Not bad for a man who started the season thing, right? in clink. Sorry, Duncan. Do you know the best thing about that whole thing? Right. Best to miss the penalty, as we've discussed. They On their bench, they had Harry Kane oh. and Jamie Vardy oh. sat on the bench. They had Harry Kane yeah. and Jamie Vardy. Yeah. So Nigel Pearson, in his time at Leicester, signed uh, the future title winners in Vardy, Wes Morgan, Danny Drinkwater, Robert Huth and Riyad Mahrez for a combined £7 million. Wow. Somebody was doing some very smart business at Leicester. Not done, though, with those magnificent events at Vicarage Row because Deeney, after that finish, goes crazy and leaps, vaults Cantona-style into the crowd... 
Uh, Gianfranco Zola tries a slightly more... Well, it, it begins in a more dignified fashion as he kind of scurries along the side of the pitch and then he goes flying over. Yeah. Iconic scenes, presumably, for Hornets. It was absolutely iconic. And then the playoff final itself just could not have been more the opposite, settled by a Kevin Phillips penalty in mm. the 70th mm. minute of the game. All right. Well, you're going to face each other again. We are. Watford and Leicester, 12.30, uh, probably, on Saturday. Uh, this time, of course, Watford battling to stay in the Premier League. Pearson is now on your bench. Yeah. Sadly for you, Gianfranco Zola's not on the opposite one. No. But, uh, but with Pearson, you just could not get a less sentimental guy. I and mean, people are going to frame this as the Nigel Pearson derby, but that journalist that has to pose that question to him in this week's presser, they're probably going to be quite glad that coronavirus cancels it because he will... Yeah, have they have they cancelled the that. presser? No, but they might I mean, it's do. Heading that way, isn't okay. it? Maybe it'll be Moose. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Watford did win over Liverpool, Emma. They did. But that feels like a long time ago now. <laughs> yeah, it does. It's the only victory in the last seven Premier League matches. You say that, but yes. stats can be. I'm going to do a Roy Hodgson here, okay. and stats can be manipulated because on the flip side, How our home. Our home record <laughs> has been pretty good. We've not lost right. in the last seven okay. at home. Okay. And we're at home again this weekend. You certainly are. Um, so, Leicester, and, and, and in that time, we've been very good at home. Five clean sheets. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, that's good. Leicester weren't on a great run, but they looked a lot better on Monday in their 4-0 pumping of Aston yeah. Villa. Well, Jamie Vardy, of that game fame, now, many years later, or not that many years later, is on 99 Premier League goals going into this game. So that'll be a... Will he reach the 100? Oh, Emma, I've got another stat for your oh, Watford. God. Not that bad, actually. Since Nigel Pearson's first home match in charge of Watford, mm. only Liverpool have taken more points at home in the Premier League than, than the Hornets. There we go. So, But so then what that. is home advantage if there's no one in the ground, eh? We'll have to mm. see. I don't know, but that is a question, actually, that we've been asked on the Twitter. Nick uh, Waskowicz says, what do the stats say about the impact of playing behind closed doors? Do home teams still dominate? And if so, why? Frankly, I don't have the numbers. Do you not? I know. Not something that's recorded very reliably in terms of when it was closed doors or not. But someone asked me this on Twitter last night ahead of the PSG game. And right. I said, I think you'd still get home advantage because it's still your home stadium. It's still the pitch, you know, the dimensions. You right. know. I think that's a bigger impact than, than a few fans cheering. PSG have played three times now. That was the third game in the history behind closed doors. They've won all three. Mm. The two in the league and the one. Yeah, I don't think it helps the away team. No, I don't think he. Okay. Well, there was another question here. This one's from Miguelito Saltamontes, who says, "Do games behind closed doors produce more goals as seen on Tuesday night?" I presume you don't have the numbers for that either. Again, without your numbers, you're nothing. Don't you? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Hurtful. (laughs) But yeah, I I I don't think it will make much difference. Okay. And also, there were only two goals in that game, isn't there? Do we want some numbers in terms Come of beh- on then, behind cl- closed doors? Well, financial numbers as opposed to mm. scoring numbers. Okay. But obviously, th- this is a potentially a massive issue for clubs, particularly lower down the down the pyramid. But I've spoken to a, a big Serie A club recently who don't think they're insured. And we're actually... For cons- reimbursing gate receipts. Exactly. And we're considering... Uh, potentially not giving money back for games that, that were played between now and well, the rest of the made, season. For example, have certainly talked about not reimbursing the uh, the tickets on season ticket holders for the uh, the, the Inter game. Uh, it's going to be a real issue, though, particularly with the, the rest of the season in Italy by no means certain of, being, of taking place. Well, you've got different factors here. Obviously, a club like Juventus is in a position financially to, to give that money back, but... You know, you're looking at lower league teams, uh, particularly in the UK, where most of their money comes from gate receipts and concessions. And right. this is potentially a massive, massive issue. And a lot of them aren't insured. So that that factor, you know, the EFL could be in for for more issues than they've had to deal with in, in the last 12 months, which wow. are considerable. Yeah. I mean, it, it is, as I say, Thursday morning as we record this and things may change, but there have already been suggestions that the Premier League's line is, you know, the one they're looking for is, is to try and get the season played out but using fixtures behind closed doors which would be from that perspective catastrophic and there's reports as well that the Champions League could be even stopped there, there were reports in Spain saying that they could just put an end to it because I mean you can't you can't I don't think the, the league might be a bit different because you, you know but you've got what 10 games left or something like that depending on which league between 10 and 12 or something but I don't know the Champions League you can't have a Champions League final with no fans this is ridiculous 
and UEFA seem to be the ones that are really, really pushing for everything to go ahead. Mm-hmm. So that they've been the most reluctant. You know, you look at the president of Getafe who just yeah. said, actually, this is safety related for us. Right. We're not going to travel to Milan if, if no one else is. And I, that fixture I, wouldn't go ahead anyway now because Inter in, in isolation. Yes. So, but I, I think UEFA have really, really been dragging their heels here. Whereas you look at what's happened in Spain, what's mm-hmm. happened in Italy, what's happened in Switzerland, what's happened in France. They're, they're probably making the more sensible decisions here. Well, for the moment, things proceed as planned in the Premier League and elsewhere in the battle at the bottom. Uh, Norwich, who hosts Saints, are six adrift. Bournemouth, who round out the bottom three, but a level with two other teams, Watford and West Ham, will be taking on Crystal Palace, who've had three straight 1-0s. And two points above them are Brighton, who should be hosting Arsenal 3 o'clock on Saturday. Given that Arsenal have some players, they haven't named them, uh, in isolation after contact with the uh, Nottingham Forest owner. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. This seems to be one of the most at-risk fixtures. Brighton have only won one of their last 14 Premier League matches. Prior to that run, the last team they beat, though, was the Gunners. And also, did you know that Brighton manager Graham Potter has won his last two games against Arsenal in all competitions? Because previous to this... Osterson, that's right, Julian. Wow. Big game, that. But uh, a little bit of an asterisk on that one in my fixture list. Mm. Any of the other relegation games you want to talk about? Norwich, Southampton, Bournemouth Palace? I think Bournemouth Palace is a, is a big game. A lot of talk this week about uh, Ramsdale being linked with some bigger clubs in the summer. But mm. he's actually he's made more saves parried into danger this season than any other goalkeeper. So obviously when you parry the ball, you can push it safe or, or into danger. Right. And he's done the most there. So I think that's something he can improve on. But... Yeah, I think Palace. They've not done a league double over Bournemouth since the Hitman and Her started on ITV. Is that right? If you're a fan of that kind of historical (laughs) stat, you may like to know that Eddie Howe wasn't even born when Hodgson began his managerial career at Holmstadt in 1976. Yeah, Bournemouth also, on average, aged the third oldest town in uh, England. That I'm not surprised about. Bournemouth, who are in the bottom three as it stands, still have to play five of the current top eight in their remaining nine games, assuming if they get played in all that kind of stuff. All right, well, what about the battle uh, for Champions League places? We'll touch on that next. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Elsewhere in the Premier League this weekend, well, Liverpool can win the title, and not a moment too soon, Monday at Everton. We'll talk about that fixture a little bit later on. Sunday afternoon at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, meantime... Spurs taking on Man United. The big game in the race for Champions League positions. Four points between the two clubs at the moment. Mourinho wishing the season was over and the good news it could be this Sunday. Six games without a win in all competitions for Mourinho. Do you see that run ending here? No, I'm sorry. I've looked at this. I'm thinking, trying to find a way to make a case for Tottenham. But I can just see more of the same, really. I think the thing is, as well, about this United side that are on their run, defensively, they're just starting to prove that they're pretty difficult to break down. I think within those 10 games that they are unbeaten, they've had eight clean sheets. Um, and there's a really nice interview with Aaron Wan-Bissaka I was reading where he was saying a lot of it's just down to communication. And I think when you can see a back line communicating with each other properly, it's very, very apparent. I'm just looking at Spurs' front line, whatever it may be this weekend and thinking there's absolutely no way that they're going to get past them. Mm. Well, also, who's been excellent for United recently, but um, Luke Shaw, yeah. a man, uh, you know, momentarily derided by Mourinho uh, United. So it'd be, if you like narrative, this is probably the ultimate fixture, because I think... Um, so you've got Luke Shaw, Moo, Moo, Man United. Yeah, and other... <laughs> other narratives are available. I mean, yeah. it's just, you know, we remember the reverse fixture when it was, was it one of Mourinho's first games? Went up to Old Trafford and everyone assumed it was when United were really struggling. And it was, you know, to be fair, a really good performance by United. And they've kind of, since then, they've, they've kicked on. They won't have uh, Marcus Rashford uh, for this game. Uh, no, but they'll have Bruno Fernandes, who, mm. I mean, he wasn't amazing against City, but he still assisted that the, the first goal. He's actually got as many assists in his first five Premier League games as Christian Eriksen did in his final 26 for Tottenham, which wow. kind of shows the value of fitting in, you know, being excited, being happy to be playing where you are. Mm. Right. Martial is a doubt, though. Since hitting the, his legs against yes. the post when mm. he tried to, uh, to block the Edison uh, bad first touch, which I think he's missing the Europa League game against... Uh, 
Lask. Lask, and uh, and yeah, might be a bit doubtful for, okay. for Sunday. Yeah, due to play Lask in Linz on Thursday night, Man United, coming off that mighty win over Man City, for which, to be fair, they probably didn't receive enough love in our Totally Football show on Monday. I mean, they look uh, deadly when they have the chance to hit on the break against a team like Man City. Is there going to be much of that kind of thing here? And is it true that Paul Pogba is almost fit? <laughs> yeah, yeah, although I was told that he would train this week and he hasn't. Well, at least not with the team. He's trained on his own. Uh, but yeah, we're getting closer to a return, a long-anticipated return. And mm-hmm. him and Bruno Fernandes playing together, which is very good news, I think. But I thought they looked very good against City. I think City made it easy for them because I think Pep messed up his tactics completely and, and I don't think that his players were, were ready for the kind of fight and were not aggressive enough anyway for that kind of game. And I think Luke Shaw said we won it because we wanted it more than them and I think that, that was spot on. Elsewhere in the race for fourth or probably fifth, Chelsea, who are only three ahead of a pack of five teams led by Man United, Wolves, Sheffield United, Spurs, Arsenal in there too, will be at Aston Villa who got done Monday night at Wolves. Fingers crossed for them and their trip to Perez. Go to West Ham, who are just goal difference above the bottom three. Sheffield United visit Newcastle. Duncan. Yeah, I was just going to point out that Pepe Reina's having an inconsistent spell at Villa. He's actually been outside of his penalty area for 15% of the goals he's let in (laughs) as as Villa goalkeeper, which for me... I'm a classicist when it comes to goalkeeping, and you should probably be inside your box. But, you <laughs> so even if you're not a classicist, I think it's pretty obvious <laughs> really. Fair, yeah. like. Mondays at the King Power was a particularly uh, yeah charged yeah affair, and but, then obviously the the one at Southampton when he was up for the yeah. corner and then it broke. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> so you know he he's getting the miles in, but maybe not getting the saves in. Right. The one against Leicester, he was like on on his head. You could see, I've got this, I've got this. Oh. oh. No. It's like when you run. So for, bad. It's like when you run for a tube and you see the door shutting and you're like, "I'm going to carry on because I'm already moving." So you know, you know, there's no point. But feels good. Right. Villa yeah. have lost nine of their last ten meetings with Chelsea and have also conceded the most goals in the Premier League this season. Chelsea, who seemed to rediscover their verve uh, last weekend. Uh, West Ham Wolves, by the way, Nuno's won all three of his Premier League meetings with West Ham without conceding. A single goal. West Ham didn't score a goal against Finlay name of team here, but should have done, deserved more. I mean, that's kind of been their story of late, isn't it? Well, especially, yeah, the Arsenal game and the Liverpool mm. game, because before that, they were pretty bad. They had that really bad uh, spell of, of results, um, run of results. But against Arsenal, I still cannot believe they didn't score a goal in that game. I mean, the Antonio header, when Leno saves it, but it's more... Antonio who misses it and Leno really who I mean Leno has his hand in the air and Antonio just aims at the end <laughs> at the hand that's all he did really and it's it's pretty remarkable yeah Antonio's got one of the biggest gaps between goals and XG this season he's underperforming that's a lot it. so the question is is he going to come good because you know he's getting mm-hmm. into good positions or is he just having a bad season so. meanwhile the trip to Olympiacos not the only health issue that Wolves are facing because Adama Traore apparently needs uh, surgery on his shoulder which has been dislocated three times this season and there are concerns that opponents could target that portion of his body in a bid to slow him down. But I don't think he will play against Sergio Ramos anytime soon. In this time of isolation, popping out is not to be encouraged. Mm, There you go. (laughs) There are things our doctor is doing to avoid the final situation, but uh, yeah, not looking good for Adama Traore. Newcastle up against Sheffield United. Uh, Newcastle actually were 2-0 winners at Bramall Lane. Um, in a match that saw John Joe Shelby walk in a second after the entire Blades defence basically stopped because a flag was up. Do you remember? Mm. Um, however, uh, their prospects are hampered by the fact that Martin Dubravka, who's made more saves than any Premier League goalkeeper this season, is out with a knee injury. He, under the radar, he's been one of the best performers in the Premier League this season. Um, and, yeah, that is a massive loss, I think, for Newcastle. Mm. And I think they've possibly got enough points to to steer clear but I think that that's a big loss and, and Sheffield United are probably the worst team to face they've only lost away from home against City and Liverpool so. right. Newcastle with an 8 point margin over the bottom 3 Dr Tom huge game for Sheffield United I'd say just to stay on the coattails and, and obviously in the in the race for fifth, depending on what happens from a UEFA perspective, I was actually up at the the training ground at Sheffield United a, a few weeks ago, oh, yeah. and uh, 
yeah, really, really like very friendly camp and yeah, just fantastic buzz around the place. But I, I think they genuinely thought that their objective was just to stay in the league. So that so everything's a bonus on top of all of this. But Brilliant. can I just ask what what were you doing up at? Uh Sheffield United's training camp. Well, uh, their head of football administration was in my class in uni. Ah, nice. Okay. Yeah. Because they've they've recently um, had another verdict on their kind of the wrangling going on over ownership of the club. Has that gone in a satisfactory fashion for the club, in your opinion? Um, If I was Kevin McCabe, I'd be quite disheartened by by what happened. So my rudimentary understanding of this is, say he was co-owner of the club with the Saudi gentleman, and he tried to use a mechanism to essentially do a a takeover, quite a hostile takeover, of Saudi gentleman's portion, and Saudi gentleman then used the same mechanism back on him. In the high courts, correct. And then the the appeal was was thrown out, so he managed to get 50% of a Premier League club for 5 million quid. (laughs) Right, which (laughs) sounds really unfair on uh, Kevin McCabe, but that's what Kevin McCabe was trying to do to him? So the agreement was put in place when they were in League One. So very, very different. Effectively, at that level, all they needed was liquidity and and extra money pumped into the club. So circumstances changed, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's a bitter pill to swallow for for Kevin McKay, right. considering how close he has been to the club for years. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, generally speaking, you would feel more comfortable with the club being in the hands of somebody who's followed them and is, is perhaps more local. But uh, what's your take on the on the current ownership then? Uh, I prefer not to comment on that. Okay, <laughs> let's uh, let's ask you a question instead about Newcastle because it's that time of year when we should be having a chat about uh, potential bids for the Magpies. Yeah, well, I, I think Newcastle is is obviously still for sale. It's not as appealing as it was in in the days when Rafa was there and they hadn't spent as much money. Even though I think Steve Bruce has done an excellent job. Again, it was Saudis that were linked to it with uh, with the club again. I don't believe that that, that was the case. Uh, the strategy that I was aware of in terms of what the Saudis were looking for were, were clubs in Europe where they could place uh, Saudi players and coaches to, mm. to develop. Uh, and obviously, traditionally, Saudi Arabia is a football nation. They've qualified for World Cups, so they're... You know they they were ahead, but I think uh, the likes of Qatar have have caught up with them just through spending a lot of money. We saw the other day as well that Floyd Mayweather was speaking uh, in Newcastle and asked a question whether he'd like to uh, to take over the club. So obviously he has the resources. That. That'd, that'd be my well, best. Imagine Floyd Mayweather and Steve Bruce knocking around oh, together. <laughs> they could maybe write a book together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. James, yeah, it's still very much for sale, but I, I don't think anything is, is imminent there. Are you surprised they haven't sold it yet? Is I, it because Ashley wants too much money? Is it because... No, I'm hugely surprised that it wasn't sold a few years ago. And the, re- the reason that I think it wasn't was the amount he was looking for, it's difficult to raise 300 million plus, whereas it's much easier to raise at the lower end sort of... 120 to maybe 200 you can get together much easier than than getting to that threshold but I, I genuinely think if, if the Saudis were going to come into play, and this is no offence to Newcastle, and we're, go, we're going to make a statement, they have more money than anyone else. So they're going to go out and buy the biggest club that's available. So they will be looking at a Man United or a Chelsea, potentially a Chelsea, because, again, I think they'd be in a position to sell and it would be right beside where they want to spend time. Saturday at 3 o'clock, Man City take on Burnley, who lost twice at the Etihad last season, both times 5-0 uh, to City. They haven't won a wet City in the league since Nutella was invented. <laughs> Nutella was invented a long time ago. 1963, yeah. I w- okay, well, I guess it's when it was branded as Nutella, because mm. my understanding... I knew of- this would pique your interest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as I understand it, Nutella was essentially uh, created by the Ferrero family as a nut-based substitute for chocolate during the Second World War and the privations that resulted thereof. It possibly wasn't branded Nutella at the yeah, time. Yeah, I think I was going on the uh, on the branded yeah. launch. Branded, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm, a, I'm a, a purist. Okay. Bernie's prospects don't look good. If they were to win that game, though, it would set up something pretty special on Monday night. Yes, the possibility of Liverpool winning their long-awaited 19th title at the home of their arch enemies, Everton. Extraordinary. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> It'd be a good time to do it. You know? I mean, there were some Everton fans a few weeks ago joking that th- that prospect was so unpleasant that they would uh, boycott the game and have no fans there. And be careful what you wish for, because that could very well be the case. Right. And on that note, the highest scoring player in Premier League history with all the letters from Isolate in his name. Leighton Baines, so um, <laughs> something to look out for there. Yeah. You've been working on that all week. He's not playing much lately, so I'm not sure if... Well, he's, he's been back in the team. He's been, no, he's, been, uh, he's been in and around yeah, the episode. Okay. Uh, first level, yeah. Did you see Atletico fans had a, an Everton flag in the, in the away end on field on uh, Wednesday they? night? Yeah. Uh, Everton beaten 4-0 last time out at Chelsea. They're winless. In 18 Premier League meetings with Liverpool, 21 in all. Last time that they actually beat Liverpool in the league, uh, October 2010. Uh, David Moyes was in charge. Roy Hodgson was your Liverpool gaffer. And Forget You, or variations thereof by CeeLo Green, was number one in the pop charts. (laughs) All right. What's going to happen this time around? Not in the charts, Emma, but on the football field. I I was here in December um, prior to the reverse fixture and I I think I did actually try and make a case for Everton. You did. And then then they went and lost 5-2. So I'm not going to make the same mistake again. I think there's certainly been progress made with Everton under Ancelotti, but it really glares at you. The only team that they have beaten that is above them in the table is Burnley under Ancelotti that is right so I think that kind of shows you there is still quite a little way to go Mm, and I have to say I can't see them beating Liverpool any impact do you think from from Liverpool's not just the exit from the Champions League but also disappointing run of results of late Jules not if they can win the title though that's that's the the whole thing I think if City lose on Saturday and suddenly this game become okay we can do it and there I, I interviewed John Barnes on Friday and Barnes was very excited all of the prospect of Liverpool actually winning it at Goodison Park so I think if they can't win the title they might be a bit like okay this is a derby and we will still be up for it but certainly if they can win it there it would be like crazy for them the other thing is as well if Liverpool win the title this weekend and then the season is void yes what happens then well no surely if they win the title they've won the yeah, title won right but everything else doesn't count yeah that's why I'm thinking it would be a good time to get it you know exactly. to hurry up and get it done exactly. while yet while yet they can it's a big if in terms of Burnley actually beating City though as well right yeah. But, you know, it would help. But that just rolls it over to the following weekend when they play Palace. against Royal So Hudson, the following weekend, there's friend. only four fixtures. And mm. the one after that is the international break, which is why it might well be this is uh, that they, they try and get this round of matches done and then see what happens. Well, more thoughts uh, from us here in a matter of moments. First of all, though, time for Paddy Power. Thank you very much, Jimbo. Hello, listeners. And hello, Lee Price from Paddy Power. Lee, it's sort of the most defining weekend of the season. Uh, we know what will happen if Man City lose to Burnley and Liverpool then win the Merseyside derby. So give us the odds then. Liverpool being crowned champions this weekend. Yeah, and what a place to win the title for Liverpool. Goodson Park on a Monday night. Wow. Although we think that when the league is inevitability, the odds are quite long that it happens in this round of games. The key bit really is Burnley beating Manchester City and that's a 14-1 to shot with City 1-7 to to win that game and delay Liverpool's ascension to the throne and the rest of the country's pain. Liverpool are odds on to beat Everton at 4-6 to so you put the two results they need together that offers odds of 24-1. to all right, Emma's been getting very excited about Nigel Pearson reuniting with the Foxes of Vicarage Road on Sunday. Will Watford get the three points against Leicester? I don't think we've enjoyed watching Leicester on Monday night, really. Brutal. Although, of course, the result was good news for him. We make the Foxes favourites here, albeit not odds on, and that's a nod to level performance Watford are capable of pulling out at home, i.e. the Liverpool result. Leicester are 6-5 to five to win this with the Hornets priced at 2-1. to one. We're tipping a winner with the draw a longer price at 12-5. to five. And finally for this week, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He's won both of his meetings with Spurs as Man U manager. Can he make it 3 out of 3 when he takes on Jose Mourinho this Sunday? Hmm, suddenly the stats are suiting Ole, aren't they? And we think this will be another 100% record against a super manager. First Pep, next Jose. United are 11-10 to to win at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, a.k.a. the Theatre of Broken Dreams. Rightly or wrongly, Mourinho is slightly under the cosh already at Spurs, so a win over his former club would be massive. We make it a 12-5 to shot. Just imagine his celebrations. They'd be incredible. It's more likely he'll have to settle for a draw, though, as that's priced at 9-4. to you can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Just a quick announcement here for a lovely piece written by Nick Miller 
If you're curious about Alan Pardew's time at Den Haag and who isn't, uh, then Nick's done a uh, proper piece on that. A little spoiler alert, it's not going well so far. Uh, what are they, eight points from safety, Jules? Yeah, they are. And since that first game that he won... yeah. Um, they gave him that lovely welcome with the Ghostbusters yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Seven points. I'm Since hearing then, seven I think points. They're more angry than anything else now, the fans. Angry. So, yeah. uh, England lost 1 0 to Spain in the She Believes Cup on Wednesday night, ending their hopes of retaining the trophy. That's now seven defeats in the last 11 for the Lionesses. Phil Neville, who had said, It's time for me to earn my coin under increased pressure. Uh, ooh, also, Adebayor news. Did. did been following his latest exploits he's he's in uh, paraguay of course uh, playing for paraguayan side olympia where in the copa libertadores uh, he took on midweek uh, defensa and justicia who we were talking about only the other day here on the show uh, he got sent off for an extraordinary kick to an opponent's head did you see this yes <laughs> wow. i mean he looked like he looked like a good, a good idea roque santa cruz plays there as well right. and you know brought his friend in and they Welcomed him at the airport with like 10,000 people. Like, really? Yeah, yeah. It was a hero welcome. And then he goes and and they brought him in to, to, to have a competitive team to try to win the Copa Libertadores. Brilliant. Yeah. Do you think he had any hand in uh, Ronaldinho's fake ID? <laughs> <laughs> that has to be the best. Because I discovered that you don't need a passport to travel from Brazil to Paraguay. Is that right? Only your Brazilian ID, for example, which right. he has, uh-huh. is enough. So the guy went to the length of actually having a fake passport when he didn't need a passport to do right. that trip. And the extraordinary thing is, you think he's one of the most recognisable people ever to play football. <laughs> so yeah, how are you going to get away uh, with... That, and he's now actually right behind name. bars. Yes. It could be for six months. It could be jail for six months. But has he actually got... I believe he's already serving time. Yeah, right? yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah. But he is until... They might release him if they okay. say, oh, OK, we'll let you so go anyone now, this is quite a strange season in the old It's football. incredible. Yeah. I mean, 2020 has been... Bizarre. Yeah. Truly. Truly. Uh, speaking of strange football stories, Dr Tom, as one of the men behind Kaiser and, and that whole extraordinary business, what are you guys working on at the moment? Yeah, we've got a, an interesting uh, proposition. We've actually been doing behind-the-scenes, fly-on-the-wall-style documentary on the football club in Ibiza, oh. which is owned by uh, a guy called Amadeo Salvo, who used to be president of Valencia. And when Peter Lim came in, he decided he still wanted to be involved in football. So they started in the fifth tier. They're now in the third tier. They played Barcelona in the cup, didn't they? They played yeah. Barcelona in the cup. They were, at, they, they were incredible in that game. They yeah, they went 1-0 up. Mm-hmm. They obviously had a goal disallowed to make yes. it 2-0. They hit the post and I mean, ultimately there Griezmann was heartbreak two at the end. end. Yeah, late, yeah. Yeah. But Barca brought on all of their big guns and yeah, very, very good showing. But there was the Balearic derby on last week on Sunday and the other team that many listeners mightn't be aware of, everyone knows Real Mallorca and they're obviously back in La Liga. There's another team on the island called Atletico Baleares that's owned by a German fight promoter called Ingo Volkmann. And last season, so UD Ibiza have signed some interesting players, someone who you might know quite well. Marco Borriello oh, yeah. togged out there last season. I wonder uh, why he goes there, Borriello. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they had a change of strategy. They actually agreed to sign uh, Cassano Did they? last season as well. It, again, you know, with his, uh, his cardiac history, probably wouldn't be a great idea to be moving to Ibiza. <laughs> and they tried to coax Robbie Keane out of retirement Brilliant. because they needed goals at the end of last season. So... Both teams just missed out in promotion that Secunda B is one of the most complex uh, structures to get promoted up to the Secunda. But it was the, the derby last last weekend and Atletico Baleares are, are top at the moment. Ibiza were second and Ibiza beat them 2-0. Uh, oh, so there's two points in it now. So it was getting very, very exciting. But mm-hmm. with all the news we're getting today, we don't know if that season is going right. to finish. It could be quite a dramatic finale or not for your... For your film, what's been the biggest surprise of this experience so far? I think, obviously, the idea is to get Ibiza into La Liga. And it'd be a fantastic story under those circumstances because every nutcase footballer is going to want to go there. So, and you you look at Ibiza and what it stands for. Would that be the highest they've been in the pyramid? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And... But no, the, the, the other funny thing about, about the situation there is that 
anyone who's been to Ibiza knows that the season, the clubbing season, only goes from sort of end of March, early April to end of September, early October. So these guys think they're moving over to this idyllic lifestyle that they're living. But when it gets to November, there's nothing open. Yeah. So, What's the population through the winter? of, the, of So the... I beat the population of Ibiza is just over 100,000. So there's hardly any people on that island. Mm. What kind of crowds do they get then, Udi? They, they get good crowds now. So probably, you know, success obviously breeds interest and particularly it's peaked with, they put in extra seating around the the Barca game and they've kept that for the rest of the season. So that they're getting 5,000, that, that mm. sorts of numbers. So uh, yeah, they're, they're, it's it's an interesting one. Fascinating stuff. When, when do you expect to have that ready for uh, our consumption, Dr. Tom? Well, it'll be ready at the end of the season. Okay, whenever that might be. Excellent. Uh, that wraps it up then for today's show. So many thanks on this uh, most intriguing of uh, Thursday mornings for being with us, Duncan Alexander, Dr. Tom Markham, Julian Laurence and Emma Saunders. We'll be back on Sunday night to bring you Monday morning's Totally Football show. I imagine uh, there'll be more dramatic news to be discussing in that one for now. Uh, from all of us here, it's thanks so much for being uh, with us. Stay safe, and we'll catch you on Monday morning. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter, and make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. I'm Emma. And I'm Jeffers. And we're the Series Linked Podcast. Subscribe to our channel for all of the biggest TV interviews. And to stay on top of all the latest telly. It said Gervais sometimes fluffs his lines. Like I'd have left them in. It's a stunning place to shoot. I like put something up on Instagram and there's somebody a post going, oh, you look at you lazy-eyed and you're ugly, aren't you? And on the way in upcoming episodes, we speak to Imelda Staunton, David Baddiel, Carl Pilkington and many more. Just search for Series Linked. That's Series Linked. Muddy Knees Media.